Welcome back to Four of a Kind Podcast, where you will learn from real-life experiences of amazing women and male allies, too, who support our mission to increase women's representation in business leadership. You will hear from founders, investors, startups, corporate leaders, and our own journeys, too. We want this podcast to empower you to go start that business, take that big job, and do it with confidence. So join us and exciting guests, and let's figure out what we can do to get there. Hi, everyone. This is Michelle, and I'm thrilled to introduce Erin Papworth, today's guest speaker. Erin is the founder of Navit, which is a fintech startup redefining the meaning of wealth. Erin was introduced to me by Bridget Began. Bridget, thank you so much for the introduction. When I first spoke with Erin, I was amazed at her passion to elevate the way women live. Erin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Grace, another Four of a Kind podcast host, is on today, too. Hi, everyone. And Erin, we're so excited to have you today and listen to your story. But I guess before we dive in, can you talk a little bit about your background? Absolutely. Yes. So I spent a good 12 years working in sub-Saharan Africa in women's development and access to healthcare, which seems very odd, but there is a parallel between women's economic development overseas and in America. The kind of root of where I am now comes from that experience overseas, working in really complex systems that don't have really meaningful engagement for women, uh, both to educational resources, health resources, but really to economic uh, Mm -hmm. resources. And when you were working overseas, you know, international development theory is very clear that you you educate 10% more women, your GDP goes up 3%. So you really have this framework that I worked in for a long time that is clear that women's economic development is the backbone of overall growth of a country. And so, yeah, that was really kind of how I grew up into my career and my understanding of, of women's empowerment. And Erin, how did that bring you to starting Navit? It's a great question. So when I, so again, 12 years of just a very thoughtful and in-depth uh, experience of building programs, working with governments, uh, using U.S. government and U.N. funding to really advocate and lobby, you know, different policy changes that would allow women to access health and, and financial ac- um, services. Um, when I came back to the United States in 2015, I looked around, I was like, you know what, this is incredible. I, I was born into a system that you know, I'm an 80s baby. So I only, my, women in this country only really got access to financial services in the 1970s, only 45 years ago. But I was born with this expectation of, of course, I get, I get whatever education I want. Of course, mm-hmm. if I'm smart, you know, if I work hard, if I'm smart, you know, everything, all that. But um, of course, I also should be able to open a bank account on my own or when right. I, it's just not, it's a non-question for me. And I was looking at that and like, women don't understand in this country, we haven't been taught and we haven't been included in financial conversations to understand the power that we have now and how fragile it is that it's only really recent that we have this level of access. So I became very impassioned with it. And I felt like this was the, this was the thing that I needed to solve <laughs> in the world. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's, that's amazing. And you brought up a few good points. You know, so many women have questions about how to make investments, how to build their wealth, how to save for retirement and manage their finances. And, you know, these topics can be particularly challenging for a lot of women and, and maybe less so for certain women, right? Like, obviously, you know, the three of us are, are pretty passionate about this. We would have 
learned about it either from our own time or or at school as part of our formal education but not all women were taught financial planning as as part of their education or maybe even some of them even sometimes probably think financial decisions should be delegated to men right um so statistics show that women on average live longer but we also on average make less So there's all sorts of gaps that you can identify, but can you maybe talk about the importance for women in particular to have that financial stability and freedom? Oh, completely. You make so many great points there. And I think that's really the, again, I go, I always go back to the history because I don't, I don't like to assign blame. Like Mm -hmm. we, you know, we, we inherited when we were born, we inherited this system that was not built for us. And it's not the dude's faults who are, you know, our, co- our counterparts and our colleagues who are making more money. It's not also their fault. They were born into the system too. We were born into a system that was designed around the male narrative. And literally women only got access in our generation. So ultimately there just hasn't been a robust conversation amongst women for women because Mm -hmm. we just have fundamentally different ways and decisions to make when we navigate careers, finances, and wealth in general. So I can talk about statistics of what those differences are, but I think as women, we just naturally know, like you are just tasked, we are tasked with different societal responsibilities. Right. (laughs) Right. And that just, and that affects our outcomes. And ultimately it means that financial services need to speak to us in our language and about our own issues. And to your point, the infrastructure we inherited was just not built to serve that need. A hundred percent. It was not. And it really, what I actually think it is suffering too. So this is part of, it doesn't know what to do with itself either. Right? Like we Mm -hmm. have Like, what do we do? Maternity leave, that's not ever had to be a thing. And yet we have 51% of our labor market are now women that you educate in with a very excessive, you know, cost. Our our higher education is so expensive. So there's incredible investment and burden, like debt burden on that. Then you get them into the workplace, but you haven't created a system that they can flow in and out of in a meaningful way with childcare responsibilities. It's like, because women were never on mass in the marketplace, but mm-hmm. it's so important that they fix that because you are literally losing 43% of women will take some sort of career pause at some time in their life because of chi- either childcare or elder care responsibility. But that that's skilled labor. Like the, you know, the society only, the economic system of a country only really has three main inputs. They have labor, mar- they have the labor, they have productivity and they have capital. And of course, mm-hmm. those things all work together. So if you don't have a meaningful engaged labor market, you don't have as much productivity, which means you don't have as much capital and it all cycles back together. <laughs> right. Yes. So, Erin, um, you've talked a lot about your passion and you've touched slightly on uh, what your company does. Can you tell us about the company's mission and what it actually is? Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. So our mission is to help women build a future of wealth. And of course, it's not exclusive to women. Men are welcome. We actually have 12% of users are men. Uh, but our idea is, look, there is there has not been a space where the data set and the technology take into consideration the different financial choices women have to make, or even the kind of assumptions of earning potential, which is lower because we over-index in lower earning potential industries. Salary negotiation has 
not been something that we have meaningfully talked about until this generation. The career pauses and, you know, that career pause tends to affect people by half a million to a million dollars over the course of their lifetime. So how do we factor that those conversations in and then ultimately uh, life expectancy? Because women do live longer and need more money at the end of their lives. So our product itself is a money management tool. So you it's a it's a budget aggregator. You put your accounts in. We help organize it for you. And we give you suggested template that allows you to say, okay, if you can spend, let's say we say 20 10, 10 rule. If you can live on 60% of your income, can you save 10%? Can you pay down debt at 10%? And can you invest at 20%? And really start having meaningful conversations about why we do these things. Why is high interest debt something that's real that we should get off our books? Why um, is investing early so important, especially for women that are either going to possibly going to take a career pause or need more money at the end of their life? Like, and what is risk? What is compound interest? How, what are different asset classes of investing? Like, let's talk about that. And then the 10% of obviously savings and like, how can you manage, you know, emergency funds and high interest products for the banking and savings that you tend to tend to have in your life. So we really, the idea is let's give women a template. They can navigate it how they want, but here's a template and here's the education of why we propose this template. And can you talk a little bit about the career pause? Uh, last we spoke, you mentioned a number of stats around that. Yes, I think it's really an interesting phenomenon. 43% of women in this country will take a career pause at some time in their life. And that means the half a million to a million dollars of lost wages and earnings over the course of their lifetime. I also, again, because we haven't figured out maternity leave or meaningful like re-engagement after people take, take a step back, I hope that changes. But what it means from a financial perspective is that there is something we can start to plan for. And think about when you're talking early days after you're getting in, you know, out of college into jobs, there is a reason why salary negotiation or at least getting higher earning potential jobs is important because you are potentially going to have a break at some point in your life. So getting those early benefits, the matches of the 401k early, you know, when you're 21 and getting that starting to work for you in, in the market, thinking about savings and managing debt. And so you help you not only in the overall course of your lifetime, but also to absorb some of the different life experiences that we all have, you know, and that's just na natural to us. I don't, I don't see men having babies anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> I could go on, you know, the other financial outcomes that I think are really important to note for ladies is time is on your side, right? We have like this amazing compound interest, the markets, they're risky, but they also, women actually, when they invest, they tend to get better outcomes over the course of their lifetime than men because they set it in there, they diversify, maybe they play with it, but they don't go in there and they're not trying to game the system, you know, making big bets. And we know that if you get in early, if you diversify, if you pay attention, if you are continuing to contribute, the markets over, you know, 30, 40 years, they do tend to rise. It's dips and scary and sometimes they crash, but that's really a lot of media. If you are strategic and understand the rules, you can get ahead in this system, but we just need to get in there earlier and, and think mm -hmm. about that in a way that, yeah, that makes sense to us. Yeah. So, so maybe let's pivot a little bit to the topic of fundraising. I know we were just talking about this right before we started recording. You're currently raising capital, which is one of the most challenging and time consuming tasks for, for founders, particularly first-time founders, right? Yeah. Can you yeah. just talk about what your experience has been so far? 
So I would love to. Thank you for this question. It's it's really complicated. And it's I, again, feel like it's a fascinating sociocultural study. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but it's the first time, again, not only women have been in the labor market at this rate, but women have been starting companies and tech and VC, like venture capital backed type companies at any sort of meaningful rate. And we're still, you know, I think 2% of fintech yep. founders. Yeah, I mean, I could go on, like tech is like 2%. Fintech is like where I am in financial technology is like 0.002%. Like it's so painful. So what it means is, is that the typical, like the historical systems of investment, those VC systems, like the sales funnel for them, the way LPs work, the way the whole system works, just has never seen people like us before. So we're coming into the market and I'm specifically coming into the market with a female founder. I actually have a co-founder that's female. We are mm -hmm. our, our CTO is a male who's a wonderful ally, but still like I'm not bringing him into my meetings because he's not a founder. And my product is female forward and it's female forward fintech like it is just people do not know what to do with me i am like the antithesis of anything they have ever <laughs> seen before right which isn't bad it's just it isn't bad and we have to have first and what you're seeing actually in the market is there are some amazing female founded companies across different verticals so health beauty mm -hmm. fashion that are hitting the billion dollar mark that are making this happen but they're really innovation innovative and they are changing the game and they struggle like um, they, we just i see why only two what is it 10 percent of all vc goes to women and then it goes well, down yeah. yeah so it, it even goes down if if you look at female only founded startups. Um, I was I was actually yeah. reading a CB Insights article and only 3% of VC dollars went to female only founded startups through Q3 yeah. of this year. So so yeah, so not e not even close. Not even close, right? And yeah, I think it's a complicated conversation because then I happen to be a white woman, so there is some I have slight advantage over my colleagues of color who are also fundraising and trying you know, trying to navigate this world. And so I feel like this is the moment for women to group together and to support each other. And so the, the final point of why I'm so, I, it's so clear why women only get that level of funding is it's the early stage companies that can't get access to capital and that's when they fail. So by the time you're in series A, you're making, you know, 2 million mm -hmm. in revenue, reoccurring revenue. You like have your metrics down, your business is flowing, you're generating revenue. I have seen that by the time you're at that point, you're, it's your business model and your metrics that are the most important, right? And so yeah. you can probably fundraise a little bit easier. It's us, these early days, pre, you know, revenue or, or like, you know, minimal revenue, just figuring out market fit. Sure, there's a huge market, but need like the angel investors or the early, early seed investors that it's just a desert. And that's interesting for two reasons. It's actually half the reason of what we're trying to solve at Navit is the early female investors, these angel investors, they are more rigorous. They want you to have revenue. They, they're they a little bit more risk adverse. And I hate to say that because that is a stereotype. And I like to say that women are more risk aware than they are risk adverse, but, mm -hmm. but, it, but they won't come in this early, right? The, the guys that are okay, taking risks, literally, I was in a cohort of four other companies, all male founders. There was one female co-founder on another one, but all male CEOs. Right. These guys are rocking in with just like it, my metrics, if not worse metrics, and yeah. they're landing the half a million dollar 
dollar investment or the 250 here and the 150 here based on a dream and also pattern matching. So it's so if we don't get women in early stage investing and taking higher risk like angel investing, so I think women are really going to continue to struggle in yeah. this process. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. It would have to sort of come from both sides. So yes, we need more female founders, but also if we, if we don't have enough females on the other side of the table on the investing side, then it's, you know, we're, we're not really going to move the needle as much. You are absolutely right. Yes. I mean, because part of it is trying to explain to a gentleman that especially in female forward products. I think that's, you know, mm -hmm. if it's a, you know, space technology or so, or cars or something that maybe they have some already recognition or understanding of, then it's another thing. Yeah. So you're, yeah. it's a different argument. But if, if I'm literally having conversations with, with investors, like women have different life choices around finances and they, and it's, it's like educating them that there yeah. is another way of thinking or like narrative in the world. And it's, yeah, so it's definitely an uphill battle. Yeah, well, it's just, you know, a bunch of patterns that they're not necessarily familiar with, which VC yes. is built on pattern recognition. So totally. the education piece is super important before you can even get them to to consider that, you know, this is, this is a viable opportunity. Totally. And, you know, the thing, what's so interesting to me about it is I always thought then I could just use the numbers of the market potential, right? Like our, your TAM, which they love to say, right? But yeah. But even that is hard. So women, I'm going to give some great stats. Like women run this economy, by the way. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, like we know this, right? 85% of consumer choices are made by women. Yeah. That's trillions of, right? 40% of heads of households, 40% of heads of like the breadwinner in a household in this country is a woman. I mean, I could go on forever. The women are 5 trillion of sole investable assets are managed by women in this country. 51% of private wealth. Like we, 80% of healthcare choices, 90% yeah. of travel choices. Like we make so many decisions about how money flows throughout this economy. And we generate a lot of money in our own personal income. And it's not value. Like the the all the systems and the products and the things that especially in the financial services that are built are built with the male narrative in mind and they don't understand that there is a huge market opportunity to really engage women who not only make investing and wealth decisions but consumer choices get them meaningfully engaged like it's mm -hmm. I, it's hard for me to fathom that that's a that's something that they can't understand. <laughs> but it's a yeah, it takes time. Well, hopefully, as we sort of have more and more founders and particularly founders playing in certain spaces where it's been traditionally predominantly men, I think, you know, that's that's hopefully going to change at some point. And and just real quick correction, I said CB insights earlier, I meant to say crunch base. So um, oh, yes, they're great, too. <laughs> And just pivoting one more time, one of the reasons why we connected was on a mentorship-related conversation and topic, and it's something that I like to ask a lot of our guests because I'm really passionate about the whole concept of mentorship. And uh, in fact, I know that you are a mentor for a lot of other people, uh, given that you have figured out some lessons learned with respects to entrepreneurship and otherwise. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, I love this topic. I did say it, and I think it's also a tribute of your guys' podcast. And see, and we even in our colloquial, I said, you guys, your guy, like I'm using guys, right? You, 
like we we have this built into our system of like you ladies um, providing support systems for each other. And I think previously in like Gen X and generations before us, there were so few of them that by the time they got to the top, it was such a fragile existence and they were all just kind of holding on to that, you know, mm-hmm. if they broke the glass ceiling and it was only them. So they were, it was so fragile. They're holding on that they didn't lose it, that they, there wasn't a lot of space for them to really meaningfully bring the women coming up under them into conversations or advocate for them, or they didn't feel like they had the power to be thoughtful enough to help the women coming up behind them. However, our generation, there is a much higher percentage of us in the workforce and there are more women in peak places of power. And you're just seeing this right now. It's just so exciting to me in society of like women talk using the the power or the money that they have. Like, I mean, Serena Williams is a great example to, to identify issues in the system that affect all women and start to really think about how we raise each other up. My, because my win is your win. If, if you mm-hmm. get that CEO job, that is a beautiful example of my ability to get the CEO job, right? So yes, mentorship is a huge part of it. And frankly, part of our platform and our product is peer education, is other women talking to each other, telling their stories of how they've navigated the system. And and to Serena's point, and once we start to accumulate wealth, I really believe that we will change the world. Because so Serena Williams has opened a venture capital yeah. firm, right? And that is that is what we need in the world. Because when you when, when high net worth women invest, their number one priority is social impact, some sort of mission driven alignment, and their second priority is taxes. And the same high net worth men, the reason men invest is taxes. And then the second reason is social impact. So like, if we can shift the dynamics and women can start re- reinvesting money into other thoughtful social mission driven products, which women tend to build, we really can make an impact in this world. That's part of mentorship. And it's also part of training like that's why I'm so driven to help women build wealth so because it's also you have to understand the system you got to get comfortable talking about finances you got to start we start I need to start putting it into our own vocabulary Mm -hmm. you know and share and that the mentorship for me is that exactly that's like talking inspiring women to feel confident that they can navigate that system sounds like you're a mentor yourself and have mentored so many women but Do you have any specific examples of mentors you have? You know, the first person that I think really shifted my entire world was my stepmother. I have a wonderful and crazy parental structure. I have a lovely mother who actually ended up being a teacher in her lifetime, but she never aspired to to careers. You know, I think her priority was motherhood and but that taught me a lot of great values. But when my dad married my stepmom, I was around nine, she was someone who had kind of grown up in the system. She had gone and gotten a nutritionist degree. She was the nutritionist of a regional hospital, so making pretty good money married to her husband. And when she this is before 1974 when women couldn't get credit without a man signing when she divorced him and went to get a car loan even though she has this amazing job very responsible she couldn't get the car loan because she was a divorcee and she had to have she was 26 years old she had to have her dad co-sign for her and it just revolutionized her 
in like anger towards the injustice. And so she she became a feminist and she marched on Washington for the Equal Rights Amendment that was not passed. And then she uh, went back to medical school at 32 saying, look, I'm saying women should be at the upper echelons of society and careers and I need to put my money where my mouth is. So she went back and got a, she became an OBGYN at like 42 and had That's this- That's amazing. Yes, yes. Yes. And you know, she, but she just told me those stories as a kid. It wasn't so much, you need to fix this. It was just the story. It was a matter of fact story. Right. And it kind of just inspired you. So I know we're coming to an end here. Any final words of advice for our listeners? I'd say, first of all, you've got this. Like our women are so smart. Women are very good project managers. They're excellent at managing things. And, and so the financial system is just another thing to manage. And I think we can all have confidence that you have the ability to do it. And it's just taking baby steps to start thinking about it or, you know, whatever that, whatever interest, whatever subject you want to explore, take your time. There's no stress. Financial industry has a lot of fear mongering in it. Like if you don't do it my way, you're not going to retire or, you know, there's all this fear. And I think we need to burst that bubble and say, no, we can manage this. It's a system. We can learn the rules and navigate it on our own terms and start talking to each other about it and make it our own because the guys have talked about it for centuries. Now it's our turn to start talking about it and then ultimately fix it. Well, Erin, thank you so much for sharing your story and providing a bit more context around some of the opportunities we have as women to support each other as well as challenges around, you know, raising capital. What is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you to learn a little bit more about Navit or around fundraising? Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, they can always honestly email me at Aaron at NAV.IT Navit. We also, I would love it if they'd follow us on social media. It's at Let's Navit, L-E-T-S Navit, um, across all Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, and then, and then of course the landing page is just nav.it and they can learn about them download. It's, it's a hybrid, it's Apple and Android on both of those. But if they really are interested in the VC world, please email me and I'm happy to talk about, there are lots of articles and good resources that, um, I'm happy to share. Well, Thanks so much, Erin. And for those of you listening, remember you can always check out more details from today's episode in the show notes. As always, if you'd like to reach out to us, send us an email at fourofakindpodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at fourofakindpodcast. That's four spelled out, F-O-U-R, for the latest news and updates. And don't forget to hit subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Erin, and have a great weekend, everyone. Bye, guys. Bye.